Hello, my name is Eric Seaton, and I am one of the pastors at the Village Church. The following podcast is a ministry of the Village Church. We hope that it inspires you, that it draws you closer to Jesus, and it opens your eyes to the possibilities of living in the kingdom. Enjoy, and God bless. Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for this community. Thank you for the opportunity to sing, to listen to your scripture, to eat together, to um, offer one another um, opportunities to be encouraged and to be um, cared for. I pray that you would give us, uh, Spirit, the insight into your scripture, the insight into one another's uh, lives that is transformative and challenging and helps us walk closer to you. I ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're, we've been talking about radical things, and we've talked about how this word radical uh, either means extreme or it means the essence or the core of something. And so we've talked about radical courage, and we've talked about radical waiting. And when we talked about radical courage, uh, we chatted about how one of the ways to maintain radical courage or develop it is to be so, to be in a place where you're telling your story of how you stepped into the kingdom on a regular basis, and the community that you're in is able to then find courage from your story and know your story, and then remind you of it when you are drifting off. So one of the assignments I gave you was this year to try to make it your goal to tell people your story of stepping into the kingdom. And if you haven't become a Christian, you're here, so you're still trying to wrestle with what it means to be part of the kingdom, so you could tell that story too. Right? But to tell everyone, everyone, you know, there's like about 100 adults between the two services. Everyone should know your story. I heard that some of you got together and did that. So that's awesome. This is an all-year project. Tell people your story of how you entered into the kingdom of God. Last week, we talked about radical waiting and how you really have two options in the ordinary waiting to distract yourself. And we've all been given distractible devices. We've all bought into the matrix. So we have our phones and our phones are easy to be distracted by. And so when we wait in the mundane, we have a choice to either be distracted or to step in and wait radically by beginning to nurture our relationship with God. And I gave you Psalm um, 131, I believe, right? Or what, what Psalm did I give you? I just blanked up here. Thank you. Okay, I just want to make sure. I was like, yeah, I think it's Psalm, it's Psalm 131. And so we could pro- so you could begin to lean into what it looked like to radically wait and not be distracted. Today, we're going to talk about radical following. And I think it's important that we talk about radical following simply because we've been using Luke chapter 9, verse 27 as kind of our definition of what radical means in this radical discipleship series. And Jesus says in 9.23, Luke 9.23, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Some translations say if anyone would follow me. So there's that redundancy there. But there are these two things that basically Jesus says are at the essence of radical discipleship or being a radical follower of Jesus. And that is one, you have to deny yourself and two, you take up your cross regularly. The question I think you have to ask yourself and you read this, is this question. Is it worth it? How many of you seen the Worth It show? Has anybody seen the Worth It show? All right. Oh, there's a few of you who know about the Worth It show. Okay. Is it worth it? I'll, this show here is really fun. I really enjoy it. 
they take like a taco and they take it at three price points. So the dollar taco, the $5 taco, and the $100 taco. And they talk to the cooks and they, they eat it and they explain everything. And at the end, they decide which taco is truly worth it, right? And it's really fun. It's a nice way of just kind of distracting yourself and not having to gain weight. Someone else can eat for you um, where you're never going to go most likely to find that taco. But the question is very similar that we have to ask when it comes to following God. Is it worth it? Is it really worth denying myself? Is it really worth taking up my cross on a daily basis? I mean, at worst, I guess it could make me a better person. Maybe. Might make me a grumpy person. But is it worth it? When we talk about radically following God... We need to know exactly what Jesus is offering. Because there's no real reason to deny yourself, and there's no real reason to take up your cross daily if you don't understand what is actually being offered and how valuable it is. Because if there's nothing being offered, there's no point. Now, if you read the entire New Testament, you can probably give a very comprehensive idea uh, or statement about what is being offered. But even though you can do that, a lot of times I think we ask ourselves, is this really worth it? Is it really worth it? What exactly is Jesus offering? So John 8, 12, for me, often sums up why it's worth it. But it's really important to understand the context because it tells us a little bit of the character of who God is. So you heard Russ read John 8, 1 through 11. And let me just retell that story. You heard it read, but let me retell it. Jesus is teaching, and his teaching is interrupted by leaders. And they drag someone not just yesterday or a couple of weeks before caught in adultery. It says they were caught in the act of adultery, and they're dragged in front of people. Now, you'll need to understand, you'll pick up the context here soon, is it wasn't like there were 10 people sitting around Jesus. You need to imagine a lot of people. They barge in, and they drag this woman there, and it's designed, she's being used for a trap, right? They want to trap Jesus. They want to get rid of Jesus. And so they put him in this conundrum of saying, hey, here's what the law says has to be done to her. She has to be stoned. But if he does that, he's going to have trouble with the Romans, and they're trying to get rid of him. So what does he do? He does some really interesting things. He's radically courageous, and that he doesn't just like freak out and walk away. He stands his ground. But he's also radically waits, right? He begins to write in this, this, you know, he leaves this like silence and he writes in the dirt. And then he says, you know, the person with no sin should cast the first stone. And then he's writing in the dirt. And, it, and the people leave, right, oldest to youngest, and they just walk away. They put their stones down. And he looks at the woman. He gets up and he looks at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? Where are they? And she says, they're gone. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So when we ask the question, what exactly is Jesus offering us? I think that narrative gives us a picture of at least of the character of the man who's inviting us to follow him, right? A man who is willing to stand and defend us in our brokenness. Because the answer is, we are all that woman, right? We are all in that place, naked and afraid, we all taste it if we're honest internally. And so those words are to us. 
right? Where are your accusers? They're gone. There's no one who can accuse us. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. So there's the character. Then the text picks up in verse 12. And it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So Jesus says, just quickly, he's like saying, I'm the light of the world. So I'm, he's not saying I'm the sun. He's saying I'm the one who created the sun. He's not saying that he's, like, he's not just saying he's just the light of the earthly world. He's saying he's the light of the unseen world. He's saying he's the creator and originator of everything. And that if you follow him, he will give you life, the light of life. His light will enlighten you. And we could read that and say, okay, so what does Jesus offer? He offers us light. He offers us life. But if you read the Gospel of John, John touches this a lot. There's a drama that Jesus loves. Jesus is a drama nerd. And I want to show you just how dramatic Jesus is. So first off, you need to know that while Jesus is saying these things, it is the festival of the booze or of tabernacle. This is actually the festival for the Jewish people. And you can read this in Leviticus 23. In other places, their most favorite, more than Passover. It is sometimes called the Feast of Joy or the Harvest Feast. But what happens is that for a week, people go camping. Little booths or tabernacles or tents, these structures appear everywhere. On roofs, on the streets, in gardens, all across the land. Now you need to understand that people who lived, 15 men who lived 15 miles outside of Jerusalem were mandatory, they had to go. Plus, any religious Hebrew person wanted to go, right? Remember all the Psalms of Ascent that we were, we were working on and last week we talked about? They're singing those songs as they head to Jerusalem. Some historians estimate that there would be 50,000 tents surrounding Jerusalem. Okay? So this is, this is like the community camping trip. Everybody's going camping. When they build the roof, they, they aren't supposed to create a roof that will keep out the sun or out the rain so there has to be, just has to shelter them from the sun because at night they're supposed to see the stars one of the points of this festival is to remind the jewish people that they used to be homeless and that god provided for them right so there's this idea of so there's this, a lot of what's happening in the celebration of the of tabernacles is that they are remembering it's a harvest festival because it happens in october so they're celebrating god being the source of rain. They are celebrating, they're giving grain offerings because they're harvesting things. So they're remembering that God provides and that once they were homeless and now they have a home. Okay, So that's what's happening. Now, we know from chapter 7, verse 2, and chapter 7, verse 37, that we're in this tabernacle of booth, and, or the festival of booths, and most likely... This is the picture of the temple. I know like we, sometimes I wish we had big screens, but we don't. So when you look at the temple, the court of the women or the court of the treasury is where a lot of things happen, right? There are 13 different offering boxes. They're all for different kinds of things. But when the, tabernacle, or when the, fest, the feast of the tabernacles is happening, things happen in the court of the women most of the time. Right? unless they're going forward to make some offerings, and then there's the court of the men or of the Israelites. Um, but most things are happening there. Now, inside this court, and I'm going to show you an artist's rendering of it in a minute, are four candelabras that are 75 feet tall. 
and they are lit at night during the festival of the booze, and it's said that it lights up the courtyards of all Jerusalem. Okay? This is where they all come to worship because what happens in the evening in particular is that the youngest men, so I'll show you a picture of this. I forgot to take that slide out. Oh, here's a picture of it. The youngest men, the youngest priests, climb up the 75-foot ladder to light these, right? And then the oldest and wisest of the priests dance around, and you've got all the women up here in these, up here. You've got people everywhere, okay? And you've got to imagine that probably this is the moment that Jesus gets up his courage and he yells as loud as he can, I am the light of the world. As those things are being lit, whoosh, he yells that out, right? Most likely is what happens. So it's not just him saying, hey, guys, by the way, I'm the light of the world. I just want to let you know. No, he's, this is a dramatic moment. And it's really interestingly paired with this woman caught in adultery. You have these two moments where Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. It's just for like, Wow. Okay, I'll explain the zombies in a minute. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. So the question of what is he offering? The first thing that he is offering is that he is saying that if you follow him, you are following the one who spoke everything into existence, spoke you into existence, and is the one who created everything and sees everything and knows everything. So the one thing is being offered when he says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, is that he's invite, you're being invited to, be, to follow the one who created you, not some random Jewish guy. Right? That's, that's the announcement that he's making. The second thing he says is that you will never walk in darkness, and this is why the zombies are here. So I like board games. I like painting. These are zombies that I have painted. Um, but here's the thing about zombies. They, don't, they walk around, and they have no purpose, and they have no meaning, and they kind of just go, and then they chew on something. That is what zombies do. But, but this is really important because what Jesus is saying when he says, you will never walk in darkness, because when we think about walking, right, we think about walking straight from, you know, A to B. But he's, this word walk more means moving to and fro or like you get up in the morning, you walk to work, you go here. It's your entire life. You will never longer walk like a zombie. You won't be a zombie. And I think you know that if you have stepped into the kingdom of God later in your life, you know what zombie life is like and what animated life is like right we'll chat about that in a minute but also as you wrestle with people in your own family and people in your community who aren't following jesus you see a zombie likeness to them right and you you have a sense of what that's like and you long for that not to be there and what jesus is saying is if you will follow me deny yourself take up your cross follow your creator you will not have to go to and fro in darkness anymore you will not have to move to and fro in darkness. But you will have the light of life. And this word life is to be animated. right? So you are unanimated and you are now animated. So if you're going to so what is Jesus offering? He's offering animation and the ability to see where you're going. He's offering you life, not zombie life. 
right? Now, when you walk in life and in the light, you will have this thought that it sometimes is easier just to go, but now you can see, right? And so now you pretend you're a zombie instead of actually being one, right? So what is Jesus offering? He's offering you the opportunity to follow the one who created you, to be able to see where you're going, and to have life instead of death. Okay? Now, in all of this conversation, we come to the idea of following. Because what do you have to do? The question is follow. Okay, follow. What does following mean? I'm a follower of Jesus. I would tell people I'm a follower of Jesus. But I would tell you that I'm not a really good follower of Jesus. I've been following Jesus for 47 years, and when I analyze myself, most of the time, it is not about how good of a follower I am. It is about how bad of a follower I am. And in fact, I live my life telling a narrative, and that's a narrative of the symptoms of me not being a good follower, right? I sinned here. I gave in to this temptation. I should have been praying. Instead, I was doing this. Right? I have a lot of things that I look at my life. See, I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing this. No, I don't live up to this standard. Not, I'm not a good follower. I look at the symptoms. And yeah, what I would argue to you is that if you have chosen to step into the kingdom of God and been animated and you are following Jesus, then you have some strengths in the act of following that you need to grab hold of and proclaim. And so I want to process a little bit. And so today's, the rest of the today's sermon may be slightly humorous, but I think it's meaningful and important. So I know many of you have probably taken those tests on Facebook where you're like, what kind of character are you in the Lord of the Rings? Or what kind of, you think of whatever, whatever kind of Disney princess you are. And I'm sure you've taken some of those. Or you've taken the Enneagram you test and you're like, well, I'm a nine with a wing two and then I'm seven other ones and I don't know what number I am. Or you've taken, and you, you know, there are lots of different kinds of pers- personality tests. You've taken those. So we're going to do one that maybe was built a long, long time ago. So the word follow is used in five different contexts. And so I decided I'd take these five different contexts and personify them and invite you to own one of them, because I would argue that you are inclined towards one of them. Now, when Jesus says, follow me and you will have the light of life, it includes all five of these, I think. But I think as followers, we have a strength somewhere, and I would like you to own that. Or if you're like kind of the Dungeons and Dragons kind of person, you can say, this is my class as a follower. I am an athlete, right? Whatever it is, We're going to work through these. So I came up with soldier, athlete, student, servant, and citizen, and it took me a lot of time to come up with these because, anyway, it's hard to find these pictures. So let's talk about the soldier. The soldier follows his captain into dangerous situations, ready to fight against the enemy. This word follow is used a lot of times in context of explaining a cap- or a soldier's dedication to a captain moving into a dangerous situation. Okay? So the soldier followed his captain up the hill, or the soldier followed his captain into an unknown land. Right? You are a soldier 
usually if you've grown up, this is not universal, but if you've grown up in a Christian family, you found Jesus at an early age, and the veil between the spiritual world and the solid world, so to speak, is thinned. And you often hear God saying things like this, waking you up and saying, pray for this person. Go do this. Go talk to this person. Your relationship with God tends to be very direct, and you hear God giving you orders to do things. And then you do them most of the time. Right? This is your inclination. I tend to be this person. God seems to just give me direction all the time. is very straight. Go talk to this person. Go do this. Go pray for that person. You need to do that. And then I just go do it most of the time. And other times I'm like, no. And I know that I am in sin because I'm disobeying direct orders, right? I have a sense of my relationship with God there, right? That's who I tend to be. Now, you don't have to grow up in a Christian family to have this kind of nature or way of following Jesus that feels really good and you hear God directly. It's just often I've run into people with long histories with God who have that sense. Second one, the servant, the servant follows his or her master wherever they might go, ready to do whatever is needed. Now, this is used to, to describe a servant following his master around, ready to do exactly what they're told, kind of just all attention on the master. A lot of times, people who have stepped into the kingdom of God become Christians later in life and moved from a very dramatic space to entering in the kingdom. They have a very strong sense of where they were and a great gratitude for what God has done in their life. And so you will see these people constantly trying to make the kingdom of God move forward by doing anything needed. They want other people to experience what they experienced, and they are willing to make the machine of the kingdom happen. They're willing to wash the dishes. This person you will find when the pastor heads to visit someone in the hospital, they've already been there right? because they're just ready to make the kingdom happen. Right? They have a sense of Jesus and they understand him almost in the washing of feet way. That's close to their heart and they feel close to Jesus when they're doing that. Right? Maybe you're that person. Maybe you lean into that. Or maybe you're the student the student carefully follows the teacher's instruction in order to gain knowledge, ready to apply that knowledge in everyday life. This, often the word here in the Greek is used to explain a student following a complex argument, okay? a complex argument in order to understand what's happening. Often this person, especially their, their Christian, as they became Christians, the way they did that was that they studied a lot. They want things to make sense to them. And so they, they study the scriptures, they read lots of books, they're trying to f make sure that everything fits, they're trying to understand what truth is, and when you sit down with them, you know this kind of follower because they want to talk about big ideas and how those big ideas are applied to life and what other people think about them, and so you're going to get into a lot of idea conversations with this kind of follower, right? Or you're one of those people who likes to talk about the big ideas of scripture, making trying to figure out all the intricacies, being able to proclaim truth. Students often become teachers, but they are inclined to talk about what is real and what is true. So, maybe you're this person. Or maybe you're the citizen. This word, the word is often used in the Greek just to describe 
a community of people or people in the city who follow the rules, right? They just follow the laws of the land. The citizen follows the laws of the city, ready to talk about the ways of the kingdom or the ways of the city. I would argue that this person is really concerned about grace and the law of the Spirit. And so when you run into these people and you're experiencing them or you're one of them, one of the main topics that you're going to talk about in life is grace and you're going to talk about mercy and you're concerned about how the kingdom is caring for people and how we're following love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. That's who you are. You want other people to taste the rules, but not the rules in the sense of you're not going around trying to make sure everybody does what they're supposed to do. You want them to taste the rules of the kingdom. So you want people to follow the law of grace. You want people to offer the mercy and kindness of Jesus. You want that, that John 8, 1 through 11 is your theme, right? Because that's the law right there of the kingdom. And you want that to be experienced. So maybe you're the citizen. Maybe that's who you are. And last, the athlete. The athlete follows instructions for improved performance, ready to practice newly learned disciplines. So this word, the word's often used in somebody who is willing to follow wise counsel. And when I was thinking about this, I thought athletes, there's two things that are interesting about them. One, it's a lot of times they are much better than their coaches. And yet they are willing to submit like physically and athletically, but they're willing to submit themselves to a coach who understands the process better than them and instruct them. Their whole point is to get better. And so they're willing to be humble and submit themselves to people who might not know as much as they are or as good at them as they are at something, but they want to improve. And so they're willing to listen and take wise counsel. But here's the other thing about athletes. You'll notice this is that here's how you experience this person. And maybe this is you is that they love new disciplines. They like to fast. They like to pray. They like to, to know how to do that and do it really well. And they want you to do it with them. Right? So you see this with athletes especially as they've moved on past their competitive years. They're like, can you play? Let's play pickleball. Let's do this. Let's do that. Why don't you come running with me? Why don't you do that thing? Right? Or you see them in the spiritual world going, hey, let's fast. Hey, let's, let's pray together. Hey, let's, right? You want people to, not just you to be improved, but you want them to be improved. You want them to be part of it all. So, the question I have for you is, which one are you? Now, you might say, well, I'm a couple of those. True. You probably are, but which one do you kind of lean towards when it comes to following Jesus, right? Which one do you lean towards? Now, what is ordinary following versus radical following? Well, the first one is radical following is a willingness to resist the zombie-like self because once you step in the light, there is still a very strong temptation to just be the zombie, right? To just live out your formal, former life, to kind of follow. You have the light, but now you just imitate something that is darkness, right? So, number one, radical following means that you are sober-minded about the way that you are living your life and you are making sure you're not choosing to step into your past. The second one is be honest about your following strengths, like the thing that you're strong at. I was, a couple days ago, I was at a coffee shop and sitting next to me were these two surgeons. One was a much older surgeon 
And he was saying to the younger surgeon, yeah, one of my partners said to me that it's actually really healthy to brag about yourself. It's good for your patients. And then he explained himself, not to say I'm the best surgeon in the world, I can do whatever. No, it's really healthy and helpful for your patients to say, I'm a really good doctor, this is why I'm a really good doctor, and this is why you should do what I'm asking you to do. Right? Because you don't have a lot of confidence in following someone if they say, oh, well, you know, I mean, I did a couple of surgery. I mean, I kind of know what's going on here. I think I can help you. Right? It's important to say, no, I know what I'm doing because people are in very vulnerable spots. Well, it's the same when it comes to your strength because we chatted about this last week, but in Second Peter, First Peter 2, we're told that we're priests. A royal priesthood. Remember I told you like a better way to understand it is you're all very important pastors in the community of God. And as a very important pastor in the community of God, you are really called to say, hey, in this one area, I'm actually pretty good. I'm good at being a soldier, and I can help you develop in this. Because what do priests do? They invite others to follow them while they follow Jesus, right? And all of us have that. So my encouragement to you is to Kind of think through these ways of following, connect to the one that you're really strong at, and be willing to say, no, I'm actually good at this. I'm a grace person. I know what grace is. And I can help other people understand what grace is. I need a little work on that athlete thing, but uh, I've got the grace thing down. Right? Be willing to be honest about what you have. Right? Act, because you know when you do that, it is a sign of the kingdom of God. Right? And we're looking for signs of the kingdom of God springing forward. But the other one involves some humility, and that is ask for help in the weaker spots. You gotta be willing to say, I'm not actually that good at the disciplines. I don't like to take wise counsel. I'm just, I really like to do things on my own. I need some help with that, right? And find some people who are good at it because they're saying they're good at it, right? We're in this conversation. So my invitation to you is to step into radical following. And radical following really involves you owning how you follow Jesus, how Jesus has animated you. Because our little community, our family here, needs you. We need your gifts. We need to follow like you follow. So my invitation simply is not be, don't be an ordinary follower. Be a radical follower. Be someone who actually talks about how you follow, what you do, what's happening. All right. So to just go back to the question, because I think this is really important. What is Jesus offering? Jesus is offering you animation. And when he, in other parts of the scriptures where he says he offers you eternal life, that is constant, nonstop animation. That is what you're given by the one who designed and created you. So that's what's in it to deny yourself and take up your cross. And the last encouragement before I open this to questions is last week we sang a song that says only in the beginning, right? My little brother's song. And we're all in different ages, right? Some of us are further away from death and some of us are closer. But the reality is in radical discipleship, it is just the beginning no matter where you are. And you have ongoing, constant 
animation till the end of time, and there will be no end, right? So, with that said, do you have any questions? Questions about my funny little personality test? Questions about anything I've said? Peter. How do I know if I'm good at something? Why, well, as you listen to those, what resonated with you? Well, what resonates with me doesn't necessarily, it, it doesn't always reflect truth. Like, I could stay, sit here and go, you know, I really think I'm the most humble person ever. Probably not true, though. Mm -hmm. Probably a really mis, you know, inaccurate. If, if you're struggling to figure that out, then I would invite you to just ask some people to reflect to you what they think. And that will help, would be my answer to that. Oh, the microphone. Um, yeah, just one more thought. I was just going to repeat what you said, but it would be interesting to, as an exercise for everyone to just go to three people in the community and have them reflect who they think you are. And that would be a trusted person. Yeah. People you don't know. Like that. Go to three different people and ask. <laughs> uh, please tell me yes anyone else questions that danielle mcmore this was great eric i really love this um i like your zombie analogy i like your personality test the whole thing was just so great i just I'm bursting with excitement and happiness about this. So I just had to say, I don't really have a question, but I think this was really, really cool and really helpful. And it is, you know, kind of like, especially if you've heard it a thousand times, eternal life can like maybe lose its um, oomph a yeah, little bit. So sure. I really like the word animation there that you said and that like eternal animation and as opposed to like the zombie thing. Oh, so good. So rich. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, Daniel. Thank you for that. Anyone else? Yep. Oh, Jim, the corner over there. Yeah, just two things. One is I just love the signs and symptoms reminder to look at these evidences that Jesus has started something in us and he's going to keep doing it. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, because just like you said, it's so easy to say, oh, I should have done more than this. Oh, I'm dropping it on that. And think, man, am I even a follower? And not see, wait a sec. Yeah, the light has come on. Um, the next thing I think I'd say is like, even as I'm saying that, I'm saying it as both a student and a citizen. <laughs> and so I... I and even as I think of other people here, as I was thinking of Tessie, I think a lot of us will exhibit more of these. And I think that's some of what you were saying. Yeah. Like yeah. there will be one or maybe more than one that's kind of our lead, you know, the first punch we go to or whatever. But that we also, God would have us grow in all five of yes. them. And so we kind of want that kind of thing where we manage our weaknesses and fly on our strengths and and know that the holy spirit wants to 
make us more and more full, I guess, more and more complete. Hmm. Yeah, thanks for this. Thanks, Jim. It's good. Anyone else? Got a few minutes. One. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this community. Thank you for the way that they follow you, that the way they care for um, one another. And I just ask that as we take communion, as we sing, as we eat together, as we pray over one another, that you would uh, give us courage, give us the ability to wait on you and to see what you're doing and help us to have courage to proclaim what you have started and the ways that we follow. And I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.